Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Chicago Justice Show. Thank you so much for tuning in. My name is Tracy Siska. I'm executive director of the Chicago Justice Project. I'm also your host for the show. You can find out about all of our other work at chicagojustice.org or get involved at cjpnation.org. Okay, today we have a few topics for you. First one, the city moving the fire cop that Superintendent Brown does not want fired. We'll check out that case. Then we're going to talk about the what's called the no-fly list, doing very little in New York City. Um, and it's not the no-fly list you're thinking of. And Young, Anjanette Young, pushing for a settlement. It seems like she cannot really win in court, or there was some jeopardy at her not being able to win it in court. You know, some context we keep trying to give viewers and listeners because there's just stuff that is not making it in the news. Okay, so for our first segment today, we're talking about the Chicago Police Department moving to fire a cop. It says the headline is City Fires to, to City Seeks to Fire Chicago Police Sergeant Accused of Arresting CTA Employee for Refusing to Drop a Misconduct Complaint. Sounds serious. And it is, but a little more context. There's shooting, there's a there's a stabbing at the CTA station. A CTA supervisor who is not yet on work. She starts in 15 minutes decides she hears what happens. She will take over the scene for the CTA. It's on the platform and the subway. She is going to then determine what's going on and whether or not trains need to bypass the station altogether. Obviously, the police respond by the, are there by the time she gets there. And because they don't have enough of the yellow tape to cordon off the crime scene, people are walking through the crime scene. And it doesn't seem like they're doing a good job just like trying to keep people out. She walks through it. The super, the officer grabs her and tries to get her out of there. There's a back and forth. You can go look at the body camera if you want. Um, they both have very serious jobs to do there. Putting your hands on the CTA employee probably wasn't a good idea. At some point within a few minutes, the CTA employee goes to the supervisor on the scene for the CPD, tells him that she, I think, wants to file a complaint against that officer for grabbing her and shoving her. He then tries to cut her a deal because he's judge, jury, and executioner on the scene. And he basically says, if you agree to drop the complaint, we won't arrest you for obstruction of justice or tampering with a crime scene or blah, 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 blah. Now, that's all caught on body camera. She refuses. They arrest her. Within a few minutes after her boss protests, they release her. But they did arrest her. This is what the case is about. So let's get to the article. Against Chicago Police Superintendent David Brown's wishes, the city seeks to fire a patrol sergeant accused of ordering the arrest of a CTA supervisor in retaliation for her complaint against one of his officers, according to a decision released late Thursday. The Civilian Office of Police Accountability recommended Sergeant William Spiker be fired for the February 2020 incident earlier this summer. Brown, however, believed the punishment was too harsh and suggested a six-month suspension, leaving a member of the Chicago Police Board decide which side had suggested the more appropriate discipline. 
that one police board member hears the review that police board member ruled in favor of having the case move forward seeking the termination of that officer now that seems like chicago police classic chicago police department and you can say well like you know David Brown, I mean, that's so typical David Brown. He's trying to reduce the, the punishment. Remember, this is a guy that got suspended for lying multiple times in an internal misconduct investigation back when he was five years on the job in Dallas. So why is the punishment too low? The media, lame as they are in Chicago, and let me tell you, they are lame. It doesn't mean all of them are. There's some great reporting out there, but few and far between. They should not allow David Brown, he holds these media availabilities and does these press conferences, every question, every single question they ask him should be about this case to him to explain why it was too high a penalty. Every single one until he does. And then the next topic, every single one until he does. Ladies and gentlemen, we still haven't heard from Brown really about why if he admits to lying in the Dallas investigation and who knew about it before they hired him in Chicago, the media has allowed that to happen. Let's get back to the article. The move comes more than a year after the Tribune published body cam camera recordings showing Spiker giving CTA supervisor Marticia Lee the option of dropping a complaint against a police officer or face arrest. When she refused to rescind her complaint, Spiker ordered her arrest in front of her coworkers and a platform of riders. Is it worth it to you? The sergeant asked the video on video shortly before Lee was placed in handcuffs. Amid high-profile deaths at the hands of police officers around the country, the incident exemplified the kind of small, typically undocumented interaction that can erode a community's trust in the Chicago Police Department, critics have said. The encounter highlighted yet again a decades-old code of silence, an unwritten understanding that officers protect one another at all costs. That has led to federal oversight of the department in recent years. What's new here? The sergeant's gig, part of the sergeant's gig is to protect his officers, not against real violence, but I mean, I shouldn't say not only against violence on the street, right? But when they do things that are not in line with the guidelines or policies, when they act out, when they engage in misconduct, his job is to cover it up at all costs. Cover it up at all costs. That's what they do. I I don't know. I, I think this is it's incidents like this that happen every day that aren't documented that are the crux really of the problem about eroding community, the trust between communities and the police departments. These are the things that happen every day. And academia would call them microaggressions, right? This is what happens. At one point, so let's get back to the article. At one point, Lee asked, are, are you really going to arrest me? And he said, yes, we are. That's the way it's going to go if you want to complain. We'll continue with the article before I comment on that. And Sparker then called Heron over and after a brief discussion ordered him to arrest Lee. Then an eight-year CTA employee with no criminal history or disciplinary record with the transit agency. 
She stood handcuffed on the platform for the next eight minutes, with tears running down her face as she wondered if her decision to speak out had cost her her job. After listening to police from Lee's manager, police released her and did not press charges. However, her name appears on the official report from the scene, accusing her of obstruction of justice and potentially contaminating the crime scene. Heron escorted offender Lee from the perimeter of the scene, the report states. Offender became irate and was momentarily detained. Ladies and gentlemen, what is, how is eight minutes momentarily? You put cuffs on someone, they are under arrest. Why isn't Heron up for, if, if he's, if, did he fill out the police report? He should be fired too. Now, ladies and gentlemen, every officer on that scene that had any knowledge of what happened and didn't report it should be gone. That's real accountability. Fire all of them. Make every officer on the scene who was even remotely or tangentially involved in that incident sign the police report. And if they disagree with anything on there, they should be, have to write their own. Otherwise, have them sign the police report and have them sign under the threat of perjury. That's accountability. We have no interest in this city. We have a mayor that has no interest. We have a superintendent that has no interest. We have a police union that has no interest. If we wanted real accountability, ladies and gentlemen, that's the kind of things we would be doing. Okay, on to our next segment. This is an article from ProPublica. We're going to go to the NYPD for this next segment. A union scandal landed hundreds of NYPD officers on a secret watch list. This hasn't stopped them from jeopardizing cases. That's right. The watch list doesn't seem to be doing what people want them to do. And this is the no-fly list. They're calling it in New York. This is why you can't, you can't rely on criminal justice system policy to change things. There's an incentive for prosecutors who want to win cases and don't care about the credibility of the officers involved to use the testimony of officers as long as it backs up their case. There's an incentive for everyone involved. It can't be just reliant on the good nature of the prosecutors or the good natures of the head of the police department. It has to be in legislation. We need to start making things crimes. So let's go to the article. Hundreds of officers placed on the Bronx District Attorney's no-fly list, a secret roster of officers whose cases are supposed to get extra level of scrutiny by prosecutors. The list was created a decade ago and amid a sprawling investigation in the city's biggest police union and its role in helping officers fix tickets issued to family and friends for speeding, illegal parking, and other traffic offenses. The list grew to 664 names and was intended to help prosecutors vet cases that might rest too heavily on officers whose ties to the scandal could raise questions about their conduct and credibility. How about every officer that got a ticket fixed gets fired? How about that? How about we arrest everyone who had their ticket fixed? There's got to be some criminal part of that. Lock them up. This list, it makes you think when you hear no-fly list, 
that they just wouldn't ever call these cops as, as witnesses. First of all, almost all of them, if not all of them, should be gone. But it, the prosecutors are in a little bit of a bind because what happens, these cops are on the scenes, they're probably going to get called by the defense if they're not called by the prosecution. So they have, it's a tricky situation. That's why they should just all be gone. Ten years after this was created, the no-fly list itself remains secret by judicial seal. Yep. So no one can get this full list. ProPublica got a list of 164, and I think out of 664, that are still calling and still being called to testify and still lying. Let's get back to the article. Until recently, prosecutors could wait until the eve of trial to disclose damaging information about arresting officers, defendants, and lawyers. A 2019 law was intended to speed up the dis disclosure so the defendants could, would not be in the dark as they weighed whether to go to trial or agree to a plea deal. But the scope of disclosure requirement has been challenged in court by prosecutors, and defense lawyers say they, are, they still find themselves frequently making plea deals knowing little or nothing about the history of the arresting officers, long before a judge might start asking questions. There you go. There is a, this is what is called by a systemic imbalance. It's corruption at the judicial level, at the prosecutor level, at the police level. Because the prosecutors are hiding the background to cops, hoping most cases, 80, 90%, I would bet, plead out. If there was 30-day, 60-day mandatory disclosure of the officer's backgrounds or the case gets tossed, or 30-day, 45-day, whatever you want, all of a sudden, ladies and gentlemen, these cops would have to end up start being fired because their cases are worthless. But because prosecutors are just as corrupt as the cops are just about, they keep chipping away and hiding stuff so they can get their wins. Richard J. Davis, a former federal prosecutor who chaired the city's commission to combat police corruption in the late 1990s, said prosecutors and police officers who continue to put such officers back on the street and on the stand do so to their own detriment. It's important because it undermines confidence in the criminal justice system, he said. There are probably hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of cases a year that these officers make an arrest, person takes a plea never knowing they got the officer to arrest him has zero credibility. When the indicted ticket-fixing officers were arraigned at a Bronx courthouse in 2011, let's get to the culture, wait till you hear this, hundreds of off-duty off officers summoned by the city's largest police union showed up, heckled prosecutors and investigators while holding signs that read, wait for it, from the police department. It's a courtesy, not a crime. I'll continue with the article. Patrick Lynch, the longtime head of the 24,000 member of the New York City Police Benevolent Association, argued that ticket fixing wasn't a criminal act, but a longstanding practice at all levels of the department that was ingrained in New York Police Department culture. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, you can't hold us responsible for this because the entire department, 
from the bottom to the top is utterly rotten, horrible, corrupt, and has been for a hundred years. And we like being corrupt and we're going to continue to be corrupt. That's what they're saying. I wonder why no one trusts the police department anymore. Hmm. What could it be? Genvine, Genvine Wong, legal from the Legal Aid Society, said this. The NYPD made such a big deal of, about broken windows. How small little infractions can turn into an avalanche of bigger issues with larger, more violent crimes, she said. Well, apply the same logic to the to officer misconduct then. No. This is just part of our culture. We, of course, should be allowed to do it. No one should have the authority to challenge us. We understand we live in a democracy, but we are judge, jury, executioner. We're it. Don't, no one can tell us about what we do. We can only, we enforce laws against you. The laws are not enforced against us. Hmm. Okay. The no-fly list, though, remains under seal. In 2012, at the request of lawyers for an indicted ticket-fixing officers, a Bronx judge issued a gag order blocking the list from being publicly distributed. CJP may have to jump in here and file and get lawyers to, file, to end this no-fly list secrecy. But here again, ladies and gentlemen, this is a systemic corruption. Please say, don't challenge us. We can do corruption. You can't tell us anything. The prosecutors have a list of them. They know at least at least 664 of them are lying, no good scumbags. Corrupt as can be. They charge a small number of them. Why not all 664? Just lock them all up. But no, we don't do that. And in fact, not only when we do that, we will continue to keep calling these these. Um, these officers on the no-fly list, we will continue to call them and keep them on testifying, keep them on the force. The public needs that list, wants that list. They need to know. Legal aid societies, the public defenders, all of them, private we all should know. They're public employees. Mm -mm -mm. The judges, they're in with, on it too. This judge, no, 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 no. Gag order can't be released ever. What are you talking about? Your Honor, you're supposed to be independent of the cops. You're a check and balance on the prosecutors and the cops. The prosecutors are check and balance on you and the police. The police are check and balance on the prosecutors and the cops. That is how the system works. But it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen in the real world. Probably... Only cases that don't result in a plea bargain, that have these officers as a sole witness officer about what happened. I bet you only serious cases where they're worried about it's solely the credibility of that officer, those cases get dumped. Otherwise, these cops, 664 of them, they're making arrests left, right, and center. How about the hundreds of officers that show up and say, it's not a crime, it's just our culture is entirely, utterly corrupt and we love it and don't take it away from us. You don't have authority to do that. You don't know. It's mind-boggling. I doubt the article will make a difference, unfortunately. It should, but I doubt it will. Okay, we're going to go on. We've been talking about this case for a while and I think we will continue to do so. 
This is an article from the Tribune. Ann Jeanette Young, we're going back to Chicago. Ann Jeanette Young and her attorney demand public release of Inspector General Copa reports on botched Chicago police raid. Should they be available? Yes. Is CJP going to go after them as soon as the, um, the deadlines pass? Yes, we are. But there's some context that's needed, ladies and gentlemen. Should Anjanette Young, from what we know of this case, should Anjanette Young get some kind of financial um, payout related to what happened to her? From what we know, yes. Seems like it. However, ladies and gentlemen, context, context, context. Don't you wonder why they're doing all of this fighting in public? Now, Young's first lawsuit got tossed. It got thrown out. It is my opinion, rightfully so, that that is why her lawyer and her filed the Freedom of Information Act to get the body cam footage. And then it somehow miraculously ended up on CBS News. Not that I'm saying it shouldn't have, it should have. They lost in court. So they're fighting this in a PR. They've refiled in court. And this is more of a PR... This is a PR battle. Anjanette Young and her lawyer are trying to pressure the mayor and the city to give her a payout because of what happened. They're going to keep bringing it up. Now, here's what usually happens. And they kind of overplayed their hand a little bit, in my opinion. The history of civil litigation in Chicago is that these cases drag out in court, and the more, the more, the more the plaintiffs find Evidence that's going to make the city and the CPD look bad. The more likely those agencies are to settle, the, the CPD and the city, are to settle these cases so the information doesn't become public. Now, what happened in the Young case, and why they may have misplayed their hand a little bit, is that it's already out. There's very little information, as far as we know right now, that could come out about this case that's going to hurt the CPD or the mayor. And certainly the biggest blow to them has already been done. So while there might be minor things in the Inspector General's investigation, or in the mayor's private investigation, or in the COPA investigation, I doubt that there's really a massive amount that's going to come out that's really going to be that damaging. So Young may have overplayed her hand by releasing that video hoping it would make an immediate settlement, and it didn't. And then it's like when you're in a boxing match, match and you 
you give everything you got into one punch and you, and you give it to the person and it doesn't knock them out. In fact, they, they stand up and they take it. And you're like, uh-oh, I, I, don't, I don't have anything left. Everything I have left is less damaging than that one, less powerful than that one. They had one arrow in her quiver, gun in the bullet in the chamber. They fired it, they shot it, and it didn't take, it didn't force the settlement. I think she will get one. I don't think it's going to be anywhere near what she wants it to be. you got to understand also, ladies and gentlemen, that the city's in a predicament. And I say that because yes, the police didn't do follow the regulations to get the warrant, but it was more or less-ish legally obtained. So does the city want to pay out millions to her for knocking down the wrong door because they screwed up apartments. They do that all the time, ladies and gentlemen. That's not highly uncommon or a once a year event. That's, that's a lot more common. The city does not want to pay out millions to everyone who does that. So, it may have been more beneficial for young financially speaking, to have just um, stayed quiet, let the case work its way through, and force the settlement once you had all the information. I'm just saying, it's a tried and true practice that has been going on for decades in Chicago. Hence why when you look at the civil rights bar in Chicago, a lot of them, when they're fighting for their clients, tooth and nail and getting these huge settlements and then signing non-disclosure agreements or whatever. And all the records they get are sealed and nothing comes out. And Does that make systemic change? I'd argue in a lot of cases it isn't. I would argue a lot of times it isn't. Now, their obligation is their client, but I think there's a little too much of them thinking that they're the sole mechanism for systemic change in the department. I don't think a lot of times systemic change or any change comes from their civil suits. The city takes the hit, they pay it out, and bidding, 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 and they keep going on, $49 million a year. I don't know. So the OIG, Officer Inspector General, Deputy Public Safety Inspector General's Office, has turned that investigation over to the mayor. The mayor has 30 days before she has to respond, and it goes public. I've got sources that tell me the law department's going to ask for another 30 days, so it'll be 60 days from a few days ago, a week ago. You're talking Christmas, around Christmas. CJP will be filing a FOIA request to get this report if if the mayor is not forced to release it earlier. She may try to fight forever to keep it closed. There's going to be less and less uh, chances to do that because the COPA investigation is probably going to result in some discipline and then it's it's going to come out one way or the other. In January of this coming year, a summary of the investigation will be included in the the Office of Inspector General's uh, quarterly reports. So 
by sometime in January, some version of this report that the Office of Inspector General has done is coming out. Now, also remember, ladies and gentlemen, we know for sure because uh, Joe Ferguson, the former Inspector General for the city of Chicago, has come out and said that his office or his office of the Deputy Public Safety Inspector General did not file, did not come up with conclusions in this report that criminal, that um, discipline should be handed down to any of the officers. Why? Well, it's because a ton of records, emails, electronic communications, and others were gobbled up by Jones Day, the law firm, the private law firm. Why do you ask? Well, the mayor, in a total hack, utterly corrupt, unbelievably useless hack, should be voted out of office move. Her office and the law department engaged the executive branch of the city government engaged Jones Day to do an outside investigation and then turned all of their materials, emails and stuff over to them. Jones Day is claiming and the law department is claiming records related to that investigation are attorney-client privilege and the inspector general and COPA cannot access them. Is that the hack move of the century or what? Tell me what difference there is between Lightfoot and Rahm Emanuel and Richard Daly and the older Richard Daly what is going on here? Where's the change? Yeah. That investigation, as we covered last week, was totally done to shield the mayor's office and the law department from the oversight from the inspector general's office. Hence why Joe Ferguson, former, uh, former inspector general for the city, was not reappointed and just left after his term ended, I think, a week ago Friday. And remember, ladies and gentlemen, supposedly from my sources, and I have it of two independent sources, the leading candidate for the office of in to the new inspector general for the city of Chicago is, I think it's 43rd Ward, Alder Woman, Alder Person, Michelle Smith. She's absolutely no qualifications for the job whatsoever, but she's in and out of the mayor's office supposedly all the time. Currently, we will see there's supposedly some national search going on, but I'm going to, my money on right now is on Michelle Smith. A staunch ally of the mayor, and how much of a hack move would it be for the mayor to put in one of her top allies in the inspector general's office, huh? So Chicago. Okay, thank you so much, ladies and gentlemen. We will be back Monday at 12 p.m. Central. Thank you so much for tuning in, listening on the podcast. Really appreciate it. If you want to get involved, cjpnation.org. If you want to drop us a line about suggestions for the show, uh, for the show you can go to our website at chicagojustice.org. There's a feedback form there. You can drop us messages on Twitch, Twitter, YouTube and Facebook. All will work. Thank you so much. We will see you Wednesday. Oh.